study on the end. I hope that you got the sermon notes on the back table. If you want a physical copy, you can also uh, go to the groups in Church Center, and you can also join underneath admin the sermon PDF group, and you can have that digitally. And I want to say uh, to our guests, thank you for being our guest. I hope that uh, you'll let us know if you got any questions. Visit the Welcome Center if it's your first time. Uh, but we're going to jump right into this. So far we've seen as we've been walking through 1 Thessalonians uh, that Paul has both encouraged the Thessalonians for their faith and for their love. So there's two things that he's really, uh, you know, encouraged them and had, uh, said, you know, you guys are doing a good job with your love. You're doing a good job with your faith. But we've also saw, specifically last week, that he was exhorting them to more. You need to be more loving. You need to be more uh, living out your faith and um, you know, all this exhortation, all of this encouragement has been in light of the end time. And this is kind of where we bring ourselves to this morning. This, this shift to the end is going to happen in uh, verse uh, 13 that we're about to read. But I want to read verse 11 first. It says, because uh, these are the charges that preceded the, the shift in, in the scripture. Verse 11 said this, And to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. And so again, some charges right before he makes this shift into the focus on the end time, right? The focus on specifically the return of Christ. And so if you look back at those verses, he said, live quietly. And what does that mean? Uh, that means don't be a busy, busybody. Don't live also uh, anxiously. Don't live restless. And again, he kind of pours over into minding your own affairs. You know, don't be that, that busybody. Don't gossip even further. Don't be a gossip. So don't be stressful. Don't be restless. Don't live anxiously. Don't be a busybody. Don't gossip. And work with your own hands. We uh, shared last week, Take care of your responsibilities. And the reason why this is important, again, why in the world would Paul say something about taking care of your responsibilities, working with your own hands in light of the end times? And I, I believe this is a, a big message that needs to be uh, spoken today and received today. And it's because of this. It demonstrates a love for others. Because your heart, when you're doing this, is to be a blessing to other people. And again, we live in a day and time where a lot of people are looking for a lot of stuff free. And I'm not going to get political or anything, but a lot of people are looking for handouts and not wanting to work to be a blessing to other people. And again, Jesus Christ himself came to this earth and served to be a blessing to others. That's the example that we have. Work itself is a blessing. It's a blessing to be able to work with your own hands, and it should never be despised by a Christian. I know we got some young people and some kids in here today. Listen, kids, listen, young people. You need to learn to work hard. You need to learn to be a good worker, to do everything as unto the Lord. Why? Because, first of all, God has given you the blessing of working. Number two, it's, an, it's a blessing to be able to work to bless others, to serve others, to be able to give to others, to be able to do for others. Not looking for what others can do for you, but where you can do for other people. Again, a man who's willing to work with his own hands demonstrates his love for other people. By being willing to humble himself, provide for his own needs, so he doesn't depend on other people. But again, providing for himself and, his, and other people. Verse 12, there are good reasons 
Uh, for the exhortations of verse 11, of course, he explains in verse 12 because that type of behavior, that type of work ethic, that type of testimony wins the respect of non-Christians. It's so important for us to get that. Love of this kind is appreciated by everyone. When we have the, the mindset that we want to be a blessing to other people, that we want to we work so that we contribute, so that we are helpful. Again, Paul placed this importance on the testimony of Christians before outsiders and unbelievers, not just for the, the church. Yeah, the church should take care of itself. Yeah, the church, everybody should contribute and serve and help and give and, and all those things, but we should do that in the world because, again, that's a great testimony to those who are outside of the family of God. He discouraged these Thessalonian believers from receiving or expecting financial favors simply because they were fellow Christians. And that can get kind of difficult because we can live in an attitude of expectation that other people should be doing something for us. And again, the mindset, and especially in light of the end times, is that we should be looking on ways to be blessings to other people. He was, uh, on the flip side of this coin, I want to address this before we get into verse 13. He was also not necessarily promoting a fierce spirit of independence. And that can be a danger inside of this as well. well. I'm just minding my own business. I'm just doing my own thing. I'm not worried about anybody else. I don't need anybody else to worry about me. No, he wasn't promoting this fierce spirit of independence. He wasn't saying that Christians must become completely self-sufficient because that's not even the design that Jesus put in place for the church. He called us a body. He said that we were fitly joined together. And when every part completely does what it's supposed to do it strengthens the whole body and in the strengthening of the body it brings glory to the head who is jesus christ that's ephesians chapter 4 if you want to read it so it's clear in the context that we are to have this personal responsibility and please hear this when we look at our our lives like that that we are a part of a body that we are a member of a body that is to contribute, that is to serve, that is to have personal responsibility to bless other people, both in the body and outside of the body. When we have that approach to our Christian faith, please hear me, this is a manifestation of Christian maturity when we love others like that. Sometimes we, we may think that we're more mature than others and we get in this state of expectation and, and when people don't meet our expectations, then we get upset. That's a sign of immaturity. And we live like Christ did, right? Imagine if Jesus Christ walked around completely obeying the Father's will, dependent upon the expectations he had for mankind. <laughs> there were times that Jesus said, oh, ye of little faith. There were times he looks at Jerusalem and says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wish I, like, I would have brought you underneath, but you wouldn't even have it. He called the Pharisees, the religious leaders, whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones. If Jesus obeyed the will of the Father, or was who he was supposed to be, and it was based on other people's expectations or other people doing for him, it would have been a completely different picture. So we move forward in this study, focus on those exhortations that we've already covered, and it kind of brings us to this next section of scripture and we specifically look at the future hope if you remember in the beginning we talked about we looked at foundational things some fundamental truths and some future hope and this is a little bit of that future hope mixed with some uh, fundamental truths but the, the believers there in in Thessalonica knew that Christ's return as John MacArthur put it was the climatic 
event in redemptive history, and they didn't want to miss it. And I think that a lot of us today view it the same way, right? We, we see that the return of Jesus Christ is the climactic event in redemptive history. That is the whole point, right? One day, we're looking for Jesus to come back and bring us home to be with him. That is the, that is the, the climactic event in redemptive history. You see, in, in Thessalonica, there were these concerns based off what, what they knew that in the midst of the persecution they were facing, that they might have missed it. Right? Jesus had warned them, you're going to suffer tribulation. These things are going to happen, but that's not the end. Then it's going to get worse. You're going to be de delivered up and, and even be put to death. And so they were going through this experience in their life thinking, have we missed the return? Have we missed our Lord's return? And again, they were living in anticipation. And we see their, their testimony obviously was pointing to their anticipation of Jesus' return. But I, I, want, to, I want to point that out as our, as our first point. In your notes today, it should be obvious that we too are living our lives in view of the soon coming of Jesus. That's what was driving the Thessalonians. It, it, it seems to be obvious in what Paul wrote to them both in his first letter and his second letter, that they were living in anticipation of Jesus' return. Again, many of them fearing that they had already missed it. And so what was driving them to, to, to faithfulness and what was driving them to have their faith spread abroad throughout the whole region and their love known throughout the whole region, what was driving them was the anticipation of the Lord's return. Again, in an unhealthy way for some of them, the fear that they had missed it. But it sets that perfect example for us. Every single day we get up, you and I should be living in anticipation that Jesus is coming soon. It's so easy for us to get distracted and get wrapped up in, 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 in temporal things and forget that the whole picture is about us living for him and him coming back one day to get us. Right? You get, you get bogged down in the midst of the health issues. You get bogged down in the midst of the financial issues. You get bogged down in the midst of the relational issues. You get bogged down in the midst of all the stuff of the world and forget that the whole big picture should be lived in view of the soon coming of Jesus Christ. There's an old southern gospel song, Jesus is coming soon. He's coming soon, and we should live our lives like that. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that since we're surrounded so, by so great a cloud of witnesses, that we should lay aside every weight, everything that's holding us down and pulling us down, and every sin that clings so closely, and we should run with endurance the race that is set before us. And look what it says in verse 2, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And then it says in verse 3, you need to consider him every day of your life. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself. Why? Why do we need to get up every day looking to Jesus, thinking about what Jesus went through for us, and live our lives like that? Why? He says, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. You and I are going to mess with the junk, we're going to go through the difficult times. We're going to be weighted down. We're going to be stressed out. We're going to have all the junk in this life. But the, the word of God tells us we need to think about Jesus. We need to look to Jesus every day, remembering he's coming soon because it's so easy to grow weary and faint-hearted. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I believe if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, you know exactly how that feels. You know exactly how it feels to feel 
And I don't know if I got it in me today to go to church. I don't know if I got it in me today to be a, a witness. I don't know if I got it in me today to do this. Again, we get weighted down and we grow weary. I don't, I, I don't know if I want to serve in that ministry anymore. I don't know if I can, I can do this any longer. I'm just tired. I'm, I'm weary. I feel like kind of giving up. Again, remember we were given the example that they were commended for their faith and their love and their testimony, but it was in light of this. And I love this scripture. Many of you are very familiar with this scripture in verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed. Some, some um, translations say ignorant. We don't want you to be without knowledge. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Again, put yourself in that situation. They had brothers and sisters. They had family members. They had church members. Imagine in this church here, people being put to death for their faith and knowing that, that, that we, were, we were told that Jesus is coming soon and, and having the anticipation that he was coming soon and all of a sudden these people die, they didn't get to see Jesus. Has he already come? Is he coming now? What about these people who just died as Christians? He says, I don't want you to be uninformed about what's going on with them and about the situation concerning them. And this, this, this is encouraging. So you don't need to grieve about those who have, who have gone on before you as others who do not have hope. And I remind you, their confusion that they were facing, we don't want you to be uninformed, was probably because they, were, they, they thought that they were to be delivered from this great tribulation. I want you to hear these words. They thought they were going to be delivered from this great tribulation, which is the persecution they were facing, by the Lord's return. I don't know if you're getting what I'm saying, but they were thinking that the Lord's return was going to spare them from their tribulation that Jesus had become. The, the persecution that they said, uh, that, that he said that they would face, they in their mind thought, hey, why are we going through this? Why is it Jesus coming back now? I, I put myself in, in, in our brothers and sisters' shoes as much as I can mentally, and, and I only can get to a certain level because I've never not seen it with my own eyes. I've, I've seen videos but i've never seen it with my own eyes it's never happened right before me nor have i ever experienced torture and death for the faith these people were they were seeing their friends their family members their church members slaughtered right before them tortured and slaughtered put to death i mean by thrust through with swords heads cut off all kinds of gruesome gruesome deaths they were seeing this and experiencing this and suffering the, the loss and the mourning. And you can imagine their thoughts. Jesus has got to be coming soon, right? What happens to us? Gas prices go up and we say, Jesus, come back. Yeah. It, we're a little disconnected, I think, from what they were going through in our, in our spoiled American lifestyles, right? We, 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 we go through things and things get a little bit difficult, a little hairy, a little confusing, a little stressful. And we're like, oh, Jesus, you need to come back and save us from this. I don't know, I'm going to have to pay my electric bill. And I'm not saying that's a light thing. I'm not trying to minimize that. But in comparison to what these people were going through, and then Paul, again, inspired by the Holy Spirit, writing to them and saying, we need to, we need to make sure that you've got some things straight. You're mourning and you're suffering and you're struggling. You've got, you got your, your moms and your dads and your brothers, your spouses, your kids are being slaughtered because they've trust Jesus for salvation. 
and you're watching this and you're going through this and you're mourning and grieving through this and we want you to see this from the right perspective. You don't need, you don't need to be grieving like other people who are grieving with, that have no hope. If you remember back in chapter 3, verse 3, so that no one would be disturbed by these afflictions, he said. For you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. He's already addressed them about the persecution and suffering they were going through. He said, for indeed, when we were with you, we kept telling you in advance that we were going to suffer affliction. And so it came to pass, as you know. Again, Paul was reminding them this is exactly what Jesus said we would go through. That we don't need to get stirred up, that, that you know, always oh, going to come rescue us from this tribulation. He's going to come rescue us from this suffering. And the reason why I'm bringing this out, church, please hear me, is, is I pray, and I've said this many times from this pulpit, I pray it never happens in our lifetime. That we suffer in America the, the, the persecution that our brothers and sisters are suffering around the world. I pray that I never have to be put to the test like that. I pray that you and I together never have to be put to the test like that. But I believe in, in, in recent history there have been hints that have come across even our world here in America that give us a little bit of indication of what things might could be and how quickly things can turn. How illegal it might become to be a Christian or to gather as a church family. Is it we, 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 we distance ourselves from it because we're not suffering the affliction, but the reality is, is we may just be one month away, one year away, I don't know, one week away, one day away, I have no idea. But we've seen how things can change seemingly overnight. You say, man, I, I don't know what would happen if it became illegal to, if, if, if cops surrounded the church building and if you tried to enter, you got arrested. I guess maybe I'd just try to watch online until they blocked our internet and we couldn't stream anymore. Then what would we do? It's illegal to put this content out there. Again, we, we, we think that we're so far away, but some of you may know this, but in China, you can't even have certain apps. You can't have Bible apps. You can't have, uh, you can't, they, they block so much traffic. You can't watch certain things unless you have some black market stuff going on. They eventually usually find out about that as well. So Paul was telling, listen, you, you knew that you were going to suffer affliction. You knew you were told this. We kept telling you this. And now it's coming to pass. You're worried about Jesus coming back or missing that or, or the, the loved ones who have gone on before missing the return of the Lord. So he's clarifying this in verse 13. He's saying that Christians will die. That's that language in verse 13, asleep. Christians will die. Persecution, again, had taken many in their own church, in their, in their own region. But it's important to, to, again, clarify that word sleep is a New Testament euphemism, and it refers to the dead body, not the dead soul. If you're familiar with the New Testament story of Jesus' healing of Jairus' daughter, also of Stephen, the first martyr, you see that's exactly what he was saying is they were asleep. She was asleep and Stephen fell asleep, the Bible says. Verse 16, it says that those who have died in Christ are those who are asleep. And I want to remind you that these believers had been through so much. I don't, I, I can't depict it with words. We couldn't put it on the screen, but they were suffering. 
They came to faith in the midst of the suffering, affliction and death. Yet in the midst of them coming to, to faith and, 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 and seeing some of their loved ones die, they continued to live the life they were supposed to. And even though there was a concern that they had missed the return, it hadn't caused them to let up any. And I, I think that's a great encouragement to us. Paul is simply encouraging them about the future hope in light of the present affliction. There is future hope in light of the present affliction. If it gets difficult for you in this life, whatever, health-wise, financially, relationally, spiritually, and even if it gets physically difficult and persecution comes, always be encouraged about the future hope in light of the present affliction. A major part of this encouragement is this, our understanding and grief for those who have already died as Christians should look different from those who don't have the same hope as we do. And that's what Paul said. You don't need to grieve for those who are in Christ who have died like those who are outside of Christ grieving for their loved ones. Because they have no hope and you have hope. What is hope? The Greek word is elpis. It means to anticipate. It also means confident expectation. Another word for this, word, for this Greek word is faith. It's not the same word as pistis, which is faith for salvation, but it's connected to it. It's not that wishing, it's not hoping, it's not, no, it's confidently knowing. Paul said we grieve for those who have died, our loved ones, even and especially those who have died in Christ. And I would go further to say this, even more so those who have died because they were in Christ. I, I will say this, I don't know myself personally that I can recall anybody who has died in Christ for Christ. Maybe you do. Maybe you have been connected with somebody who suffered affliction for their faith and they died as a martyr. Maybe you know somebody who died for Christ. I don't know that I know anybody like that. I know people are ministering to people like that. But I don't know anybody. This is what they were living in, though. So why was Paul's approach in encouraging them? Why was this his approach? The misunderstanding that they had in their thinking that the day of the Lord had already happened or that somehow it was going to happen soon, right then with them, was that those who had already died in Christ had missed the glorious event of Christ's return. Can you imagine that? It would be sorrow upon sorrow. Put yourself in their shoes, your wife, your husband, your kids. Your brother, your sister, they die. They were living faithfully for the Lord. And somebody came along and beheaded them because they were Christians. Somebody came along and thrust them through with the sword, burned their house down, and, and, and everything was done. They were dead, all their possessions gone. Imagine mourning that. Imagine suffering the, the, the mental and the emotional anguish going on with your spouse or your kids being put to death because they were followers of Christ. And then in the back of your mind, when it comes racing to the front of your mind, is this. Well, Jesus is coming back. Are they going to miss when Jesus comes back? We've been living our lives in anticipation of our Lord's return, and now they've died. What about them? How, are they going to miss it? Are they going to completely be absent from Jesus' glorious return? So you would grieve not only the lost, but would grieve their loss and your ignorance. And that's why Paul said, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who are dead. 
Look at verse 14. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. So he says, listen, I want you to be encouraged. I know you're grieving. I know you're mourning. But we don't grieve like others who have no hope. You're, you're worried about those who have died in Christ, those are your loved ones who have, who have been martyred for the cause of Christ. We don't want you to grieve like others who have no hope. We want you to be informed. We want you to know what's going to happen when Jesus returns. We know he died and rose again, and God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Number two in your notes, it should bring overwhelming joy to believers that we will be reunited with Christians gone before us at Christ's return. I know it's a long uh, a long point, but it's an important statement. That's why it's a point. We, it should bring overwhelming joy to believers that we will be re reunited with Christians gone before us at Christ's return. I know we've had to say goodbye to some loved ones in our church family. Well, from the beginning, of course we have from the beginning, but I think some of those that, you know, in, in the last several years, we've said, man, this is tough. Everyone's tough. Sometimes we don't have answers. Sometimes we, we see God's hand in it. But it should bring us overwhelming joy that when he comes back, he's bringing every saint that has, has died in Christ with him. There's no question Jesus is the prize. No question that meeting him when he returns will be the climax of our existence at that point. That will be the greatest thing we have ever experienced, ever. Salvation would be number one right now if you're saved, you're a Christian. The day that you were transformed and made a new person in Jesus Christ by the power of God, the working of the Holy Spirit, that day is the pinnacle of you, my life and your life right now. But one day, soon, he's coming back and we will meet him in the air and that will be the climax of our entire existence. Not only to have our Lord living in us, the Holy Spirit, not only having been a new person, but re reunited face to face with the God of all creation, the Savior of the world, our friend, the lover of our soul. It will be the greatest moment of our existence at that point. But what makes it even more amazing, it can't get more amazing, but it's like, like the, the cherry on top of the ice, icing, I guess. I don't, I don't really like cherries on icing, but uh, the, the, the phrase goes like that. It'd be kind of like just, this is so cool that God, it's kind of like those things in life, you're like, God didn't have to do this, but he did this just because he's good. Just because it was already sweet, it was already amazing, you don't need to do anything to change it. It's perfect the way it is, right? Like, don't mess with the recipe. But yeah, let me just put this on you. Oh, well, that does make it a little better. You know, it's not like, could it be better? But that's cool. You know, God was just good in this. So part of his amazing love and comfort for, for us is this truth. That the people that God put in our lives, that we loved, and that we connected with, sometimes lived a lifetime with, will be part of this glorious moment. That is amazing. Like, God didn't have to do that, right? He, he didn't, he's God. He doesn't need to come back and judge the world with, with the saints like he's going to. He, he doesn't have to do that. He's chosen to do that. And, and it's amazing that part of our encouragement and, and hope 
confident expectation is that when he does return, everybody who we loved and were connected with, lived life with, again, maybe lived lifetimes with, they will be with him when he returns. I want you to imagine with me, though, this, this truth that God was delivering to these believers must have been just that at that moment, overwhelming. Again, I don't know anybody who's died for Christ as a martyr. I don't know anybody who has, who has suffered persecution like that. I've read countless stories. Again, the, the Fox's Book of Martyrs. I've read, I re- read um, uh, The Voice of the Martyrs now. I, I see videos. I see all kinds of stuff now of our brothers and sisters suffering tragic things, terrible things. Uh, wives losing their husbands and their way of living in their homes and their kids on their way to school uh, and, and now they're widows and they have no way of living and now they're poor and, and they have to completely rely on others. Uh, again, events like that, I, I'm so disconnected from other than reading it. That's what these people were living in. And so you can imagine how God through the comfort of the Holy Spirit, brings them this message and says, look, you don't need to grieve like those who have no hope because when Jesus returns, not only will you see him, but you will see all those who are asleep. So you can imagine this overwhelming comfort and joy that it brought to them, the weight that they carried around, not knowing what was going to happen to their loved ones who were, who were martyred for Christ. Now to hear this, the weight being lifted, the excitement of the return of the Lord, getting missed by the ones who gave it all for him. Think about that. Think about wrestling with that psychological aspect of it too. Right? You know someone who was living for the Lord a, a thousand percent, and you, you're in yourself, maybe in your own mind, you think, man, I. I don't even know if I'm giving 90% to the Lord. They were given 1,000%, and then they died for Jesus Christ. I'm the one. If anybody needed to be taken out of this earth because I wasn't doing enough for the Lord, it would be me, not them. They were doing so much. Have you ever thought that? I've thought that before. And why God take that person? <laughs> they were doing so much for the kingdom. Take somebody who's not doing much for the kingdom. <laughs> that's, that's what you think, right? I mean, I think maybe I'm... Lord, forgive me if that's wrong, but that's what I, that's what I, I think. I think, man, somebody dies, they were, they were knocking out of the park. Why? And then to know there will be part of his return, bringing them with him. Not only that, but being under the weight of persecution themselves, you can imagine that they didn't have this fluffy kind of thought when it came to Jesus' glorious return after this, Right? That they, they, they were being persecuted. And so they weren't thinking, like I said a while ago, oh man, I can't wait for Jesus to come back. Then I won't have to worry about diets. I won't have to worry about gas prices. I won't have to worry about you know, health issues. I won't have to worry about this. Again, all of these are normal things, and I'm not downplaying them. These people were dealing with stuff like that, normal everyday afflictions, but they were also suffering persecution. And so they were not thinking about Jesus coming back to them, uh, coming back to get them in light of their financial woes. They were thinking about Jesus coming back to get them to rescue them from the suffering they were under. Because they were Christians. Not because they lived in a certain country, but because they were followers of Christ. 
So the glorious return of Christ not only was a great blessing, it wasn't some fluffy kind of idea of rescuing them from their, their struggles as humans. It was salvation from persecution and tribulation. It was overwhelming joy for sure when they received this, and it should do that for us. We have to ask ourselves, does it? Are you so looking forward to the return of Jesus Christ? Is that what drives you every day? And again, I, I have to say that probably the majority of, of American Christians, it doesn't, because the enemy is so good at his subtleties. He's so good at his distractions and his deceptions. And we get so bogged down and so clouded in what life is all about when it's very clear in Scripture we are the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We are the children of God. We are supposed to be living as light in the darkness. And every day we should get up living as unto the Lord. I'm, I'm not trying to paint a pious picture. I'm just saying what gets us up and drives us in the morning should be the fact that one day soon we're going to meet our Lord and it could be today. That's, that's what was driving these people. Am I, am I looking for that day, or do we only look for that day and only think about the joy of that day when things go bad in our life? Well, I think it should be a normal, normal response now that we know the truth, right? They didn't have it until, the, the, until Paul delivered it to them through the Holy Spirit. We've had it for thousands of years. We know that those who die in Christ we're going to meet them in the air. We know we're going to see them again. And so when someone that we lose to, in our lives today, when we say I have to say goodbye to them, guess what? We don't have to suffer the grief that they were going through until they got this letter. We don't have to sorrow like those with no hope. When someone we lose who's a Christian goes on before us, we can say, in that moment we can say, you know what, praise God, we're going to be able to see each other again. And prayerfully someday soon, we say things like, well, I can't wait for the Lord to come back now. I can't wait to see him and see my loved ones. Right? We have that hope. We have that overwhelming joy. But again, do we only do that on the bad days? Do we only look forward to his return when things are going difficult? When we just want an escape? I'm tired of dealing with this. Jesus, come back. I think it's a good reminder of the difficult times, but every day we should be living with the overwhelming joy of this. The bad... Again, this, this bad thing happened in the world. I can't wait for Jesus to come back. The bad things, no doubt, again, should cause us to remember this. But I believe we should strive daily. Do we forget the overwhelming joy when good things happen? Of his return? Do we forget that overwhelming joy of his return when good things happen? Maybe do we even cling more to temporal blessings because of the good things happening, right? Think about it. Something good happens to you, whatever, financially, relationally, you got your house, you got your car, you got the raise, whatever. Something good thing happens to you, and does that cause you to cling more to temporal things? Or does it just remind you that it's temporal and you still can't wait to see your Lord. That, that's, that's what ends up happening to us, though. Something good happens temporally, and it causes us to dig in more temporally. <laughs> Do you wish for more time on earth to enjoy the blessings now? Just the temporal only ones. 
I really want this to happen. I really want to do this. I want to really experience this. Or do we face every blessing and enjoy it with zealous excitement that the blessings now are just a simple shadow of the blessings to come? Because God wants us to enjoy the blessings on this earth, but they pale in comparison to eternal blessings. I mean, enjoy the blessings of, of relationships, of kids, of grandkids, of great-grandkids, and, 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 and church family, and, 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 and going and seeing God's beauty and, and creation, and taking trips, and, and enjoying all the blessings that God has given us on this earth to enjoy, but always remember and enjoying the blessings that that's just a fraction. It's just a shadow of the blessings to come. Second Peter chapter 3, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, temporal things, what sort of people ought you ought to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for, listen, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of the Lord, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. The temporal elements, everything temporal now that we get so bogged down in and so stressed over and so, you know, amped up about, they're going to pass away. But on that day when we see him and are reunited, the eternal blessings will flow and the temporal ones, again, will fade away. He's going to bring with them those who are saved when they, when they die. The meaning and the reunion is going to be epic. And that's where the shift happens in this letter. First, we saw it should be obvious that we are living our lives in view of the soon coming of Christ. Secondly, we saw it should bring overwhelming joy to believers that we will be reunited with Christians gone before us at Christ's return. And last, third point is this, it should fill us with wonder, anticipation, and comfort for the mode, method, and the meeting that we will have at his coming. Again, I know another long point, but we should be filled with wonder, anticipation, and comfort for the mode and the method and the meeting that we're going to have when he returns. Verse 15. Why do you not need to grieve? Why do you not need to grieve like those who without, without hope? God's going to bring with him those who are in Christ. He says, Here, here's why. Here's, here's why you, you don't need to do that. Because we declare to you by a word from the Lord that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede or go before those who have already fallen asleep in Christ. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Again, they were struggling. They had lost their spouses, their kids, their grandparents, their brothers, their sisters, their church family to persecution. They were struggling. Have these people missed the day of the Lord? Are they going to miss the day of the Lord? Paul says, look, I don't want you to, I don't want you to struggle and mourn like those who have no hope over those who have died in Christ. Because here's what's going to happen. God's going to bring with him those who have already fallen asleep. And here's how it's going to happen. And the way this happens and these truths inside of this you should, you should find comfort and encouragement in. So many things to point out here. I, I want to do this and we'll close. First, Paul declares the source of what he's telling them, God's very word. Second, Paul and both his team and his audience are put in the context of those who are alive. 
Right? This is 2,000 years ago. So Paul said, then we who are alive and left, Paul, again, his audience and his team, he puts them in those who are alive when Jesus returns, which is interesting because the definition of left is to remain or survive. So in Paul's mind, they, they were thinking that they were going to survive this tribulation, even though they were to expect affliction and even death for the cause of Christ. He was anticipating being alive at Jesus' return. The other thing is those who have died in Christ seemingly get the reward first, right? We think, man, they, they missed out. And Paul says, no, 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 they actually get the reward first. Those who died in Christ, for Christ, they're going to be part of the, the first part of this. Paul was fully expecting to be alive at Jesus' coming. He was living his life like that, and he charged the church to do the same. You need to live like Jesus is coming back. And this is vital. Why? Because Paul was given insight into this great day. He or anyone else knew when this would happen. Jesus himself said, no one, but the Father knows this. Not in the angels of heaven, nor the Son, in Matthew chapter 24. And it's important to note that we can often view death as an end, even as Christians, right? Somebody dies and we're like, oh no. And again, I, we sorrow, we mourn, we grieve. But for the Christian, we have to remember that death is the beginning. It's a door. It's a door into the eternal presence of, of God Almighty. I'll put a few of these things in there. Number one, here's the thing surrounding the event, the mode, the method, and the meeting. Number one, the Lord will descend from heaven. That's the truth. He says, that's what's going to happen. When, when that day comes, you say, is, it, is this hypothetical? Is this something that is, a, is an allegory? No. He says, the Lord will descend from heaven. If you remember, when uh, the disciples were on the Mount of Transfiguration, they were looking up. They said, why are you looking in the sky? This is an ax. He said, in the same way that you saw him uh, ascend, the same way he's going to come back. What's going to accompany his descent from heaven? There's three things. A cry of command, a voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God. All this crazy stuff happening in our skies recently, right? For Christians, it should remind us, oh, one day, one day that sky's going to break open. <laughs> They're going to be wondering about what that thing is in the air. Some of you know, every eye shall see him, the Bible says. Second thing is this, the dead in Christ will rise first. It's interesting because he said that God will bring with him those who are dead. Did you hear what it said? It said that the first statement was that those who are asleep in Christ, God's going to bring with him. But then in, the, in a few verses later, it says that those who are dead will rise first. Huh? He's going to bring with them, and they're going to rise first. We understand this as part of the resurrection. How does it happen? Well, what we understand, according to what God has given to us, is that the souls of the saints will be rejoined with the bodies that they left on earth, whether they were turned into ashes and scattered in the ocean or put in a grave and in a casket. Somehow, God, at that moment, is going to reunite the souls, the eternal souls, with the bodies, and they will be changed into glorious ones. That's what 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us. Verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. 
We shall not all sleep. We're not all going to die as Christians. But all of us will be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. Remember the trumpet of God? For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. For this perishable, here you go, must put on the imperishable body. And this mortal body must put on an immortal body. Uh, must put on immortality. When the perishable push on, puts on imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall uh, come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Again, it should fill us with wonder and anticipation and comfort. I don't know about you, but I've never seen a grave break open. I've never seen the Lord descend from heaven. I've never seen any of these things. But one day it's all going to happen. And I think God's doing that for us. It's another part, another layer of how, how awesome of a God he is, right? Can you imagine being on this earth and then boom, the, the trumpet of God, a call, an archangel, a, a command of God. He starts descending and all of a sudden graves are breaking open. Things are coming out of the ocean, out of the dust. I mean, all, all this. And, and God has given us his children. He's letting us be the audience. It says the dead in Christ shall rise first. It's going to happen first. Then we which are alive and remain. That's going to be so cool. I, I wonder what the, the call of command is. Hey, get your chairs. <laughs> Take a seat. Watch this. You know, I don't know. Is that a call of command? I, it's going to be so cool. God's going to give us a front row seat to the, 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 the greatest, most epic event that has ever happened in our, to us. He's going to let us see the resurrection of his people. And then we who are alive and reign will be caught up with them. It should fill us with wonder and anticipation and comfort. Those who are alive, number three, will join the resurrected and Jesus in the clouds in the air. John chapter 6, verse 39, This is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day, for this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks, to, looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And here's the promise, and I will raise him up on the last day. John chapter eleven twenty five. 25, I'm the resurrection life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Matthew chapter 24 says that it will appear in the heaven, the sign of the Son of Man. And when all the tribes of earth will mourn, they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great, great glory. He will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds and from one end of heaven to the other. Mark 13, 26, they see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory. Luke 21, 27, and they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. It should fill us with wonder and anticipation and comfort. For that day, for the child of God. Number four is this, our final place will be with the Lord. And I love this. I know I'm running a little long, but I'm going to finish this up. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare. Would I have told you I go to prepare a place for you? If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and take you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. It's a great comfort and encouragement that we are to give each other, reminding each other of these truths. This is the primary goal of this section, to comfort and encourage believers. These truths are so comforting for this, 
the sinner that's saved by God's grace. Man, if you're a child of God in here this morning, you're watching online, these truths truth should bring you so much encouragement. It should bring the overwhelming joy. You have lost loved ones. I have lost loved ones. That one day we will be reunited. These are promises of God. We should encourage each other. It should bring joy. It should also stir us to live in anticipation and with zeal to tell other, people's, and other people. So that's why when, when we are comforted, it also should remind us for the sinner, it's a dreadful truth who still remains in their sin and remains to be judged by an almighty holy God. That day that Jesus returns indeed is a blessed hope that Titus chapter 2 verse 13 tells us about. But it's also a moment of judgment for those who have rejected him. I'm not going to read everything in Matthew chapter 25. You can read it when you get time. We've already read it in, in the study. But in verse 41 it says this, Then he will say to those on his left, those who have rejected him, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. One day, in verse 46, they will go away into eternal punishment. Those who have rejected Jesus Christ. But those who have accepted him, the righteous, into eternal life. For the Christian in here, man, let's live every day in anticipation of the Lord's return. We will meet him and we'll meet our loved ones who have gone on before in Christ. But it should at the same time remind us that there are people who are dreading that day now. They don't even realize it. Because he will come in flaming fire. And he will come in judgment for those who have rejected him. And if you're here this morning and you're not positive, I didn't say hope so, I didn't say that you think so, you are not positive that you are a child of God. You are not 100% sure that heaven's going to be your home. You're not 100% sure that when Jesus comes back, what we just read, that he will take you with him to be with him forever. If you're not positive, I'm begging you. We're about to have an invitation in just a second. Please come to this altar. We have women, we have men down here. If you're a lady, we have plenty of women that can talk to you. Guys, there's men down here that can talk to you. Please don't leave this place with questions or any type of, any inkling of a doubt about your eternal destination. Because when he comes back, it'll be like that in the twinkling of an eye. And there will be no more time. There'll be no more opportunities. They will all have passed. And judgment will be the next thing for all of eternity that you experience. And so I'm begging you to come today. Get that sure. God loves you. He died for you. He rose again so that you would have eternal life not suffer punishment. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for the, the blessings of your word. Thank you for the reminders. And again, uh, I, I cannot wait. I, I've dreamed about it. I've thought about it. I've daydreamed about it. What it's going to be like, I've tried to figure out in my mind's eye what it's going to actually look like with my physical eyes. And I just, I can't. I, I can't fully grasp it. But I, I'm so excited. I can't wait for that day that you come back and you return to bring us home to be with you. And uh, I pray that you would help me live my life every day with that type of anticipation. I pray that you would do that for our church. God, we need revival. We hear and read about different revivals that are happening, and Lord, we've been praying for revival. We need revival. Help us to live like you've called us to live. I pray we'd respond now in a way that's honoring to you. We'll praise you in Jesus' name.
Amen. If you'll stand, I encourage you to come as we sing.